This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's DJ. Give me the rock, man. Mike Mike Bond hard with the jock jam. John Brown, get me back to the past that I'm running out of track. Space Jam. Welcome to the No Ceilings podcast feed, the No Ceilings YouTube channel, wherever you're watching this. Hopefully you're watching this live on YouTube. If not, you will either have the option to watch the replay of this on our YouTube channel, No Ceilings TV, or you can listen to this in the podcast feed. My name is Nathan Grubel. You would know me at the Draft Deeper podcast, at Draft Deeper on Twitter. No, I am not Tyler Metcalf. Metcalf is not hosting this episode, but you will hear from Mr. Metcalf a little later on in the show. For now, I am joined by Corey and Albert from the Draft Act. We wanted to start this show off right. We wanted to kick it off with a bang. You will hear from all of our No Ceilings brethren throughout the course of this show. We're going to run for about hour 20, hour 30 minutes here, and we're going to have some fun not doing bracket picks, right? This is not necessarily bracketology, although I'm sure we're, we're going to talk about maybe some upsets we like, maybe some matchups that we're going to want to see. But we want to take an NC, uh, NBA draft twist on this, right? That That's what we do here at No Ceilings. Is what you're watching No Ceilings for. If you want to watch bracketology, there are plenty of other people covering it in that light. But we're the live show going right now once to, to give it a spin on the NBA draft. So without further ado... I want to introduce you guys, Corey Albert. How are you guys doing tonight, Corey? I'll start with you, dude. I'm uh, I'm stoked that we're doing this. We got the entire crew. The show is gonna be fucking lit tonight. So I'm stoked. I hope everybody else is stoked because we're gonna have a great show. Albert, how you doing, brother? I'm doing great, man. It's exciting that uh, Corey and I, and with you, Nate, that we get to bat leadoff. We're hoping to be prime Chuck Knobloch from 1998 <laughs> and just set the table. For some World Series winning uh, breakdowns here. No, but all joking aside, it's exciting to be here. We're going to talk about some uh, exciting guys. So I'm ready to rock. So when you plan a show like this and you do a live stream that's about 15 minutes after they're finished unveiling <clears throat> the brackets, right? How exactly do you plan a show like that? Well, I'm glad you asked, or in this case, I'm glad you didn't ask. I'm going to tell you anyways. So I wanted to divide up. I'm essentially going to have a duo on with me. We're going to rotate through multiple duos. And I tried to break up this show by conference slash teams that made sense in terms of prospects that we're going to be looking at for the draft. And the reason why I wanted to start the show off with Corey and Albert is because arguably the biggest team, or I should say one of the biggest teams from a draft perspective that we're going to talk about in the tournament field is Duke. And our own Corey actually got to see Duke up close and personal at the ACC tournament 
literally yesterday. He also saw them in person at the Garden earlier in the season. So let's break down Duke. Let's talk about it. So one of the first questions that I wrote down, Albert, I'll actually kick this question to you first, since I know that Corey's is going to have plenty of thoughts on the second question that I wrote down regarding Duke. <laughs> but how many Duke prospects do you think – can realistically go in the first round. Now, before you answer that question, Duke is in the West region of the bracket. And I'll just say it. This region is an absolute bloodbath. Gonzaga is the top seed. Duke is the second seed. You have Texas Tech as the third seed. And Arkansas as the fourth seed. So if Duke were to try to advance to the Final Four, they may have to potentially obviously win their first game against the 15th seed, but then they might have to go through all of Michigan State, then Texas Tech, then Gonzaga. That is that is quite the potential gauntlet that they might have to walk. So keep in mind, everybody loves to overreact to the tournament and what happens if Duke goes out early, whether they make a run regardless. But keeping all that in mind, Albert, how many Duke prospects do you think can realistically go in the first round? Mm, well, you know, before I even get to that um... – Nay, I do want to mention that you you said that they, they would have to get through Michigan State. Um, I think Michigan oh State's going to have a tough tough time getting past Davidson because um, Davidson has a, some super superstar there uh, that we'll talk about later. But um, I, I do want to say, like, I think realistically, I would say three. Um, now I know Rucker right now is behind the scenes and he's probably losing his mind, right? Well, not losing his mind, but he's probably really excited about us doing all this. But, um, I mean, if, if we talk about Paulo, um, we talk about AJ, those guys are top five, top 10 guys. Then we look at Wendell Moore, Trevor Keels, probably should have said Trevor Keels first, but regardless, I think realistically we can see three of them go in the first round. If things get a little crazy and Wendell Moore goes insane. I thought Wendell Moore played really well during the ACC tournament. So, um, he had like what 50 blocks. I have no idea. Well, at least like memorable ones. Um, he was playing really, really well. So I think there's a chance at four go, but, but I would say realistically three. And I will say, like, I, I wasn't kidding. I think if Duke has to play Davidson in that second round, I, I don't think it's going to be easy. That Davidson team is actually pretty decent. They've got shooting. Of course, they've got shooting. They have some decent size there. Um, I think it'll be an interesting matchup. So I, I, I'm, I don't feel, like, super confident that Duke is, like, a lock to make the Final Four or anything. Um, but sorry, if we're going back to the draft prospects part of it, I think three is a realistic number for me. Corey, what are you thinking? See, seeing the field, hearing the field, knowing what's at stake, knowing who we're talking about, what do you think? I would say three um, outside shot of four, but I think three is kind of a, a pretty safe bet. So let's move into one of those three specifically. I, I think we're all in agreement that those three would be comprised of Paolo Bencaro. A.J. Griffin, and Mark Williams. Mm-hmm. But let's zoom in on Mr. Paolo Vancaro, Corey, because you you had some thoughts, and you wanted to talk to us <clears throat> about kind of what you saw from Paolo, not just up close and personal in the two times that you've seen him, but also some things that have kind of been building in your mind as you've been studying him a lot closer. I know you did. You did an excellent prospect breakdown of Mr. Paolo on your YouTube channel, so obviously – we, we, should, we should be plugging that as well. But what, what, what are some of your thoughts on Palo? And I guess my question pointed towards this from a tournament perspective. Does Palo Bencaro, in your mind, have a chance to leapfrog back into the first overall conversation if Duke 
were to make a deep run with him at the forefront. Yeah, well, I think that Paolo might be like pound for pound the most talented guy in the entire draft. So I absolutely think that with a strong, like if he leads Duke to a national championship, uh, a final four, there's absolutely a world where he starts putting everything together and we're like, why are we even hesitating to put the six foot, 10 inch, 250 pound, do it all versatile wing, like ahead of all these other guys that have question marks. Um, So that's definitely a possibility. I I don't think you can count that out, especially if the the shooting turns around and he started, like if he just gets hot, has a couple of nights where the threes start falling. I mean, I think you're looking at the, the conversation is just, going to be on fire because it's duke and they're going to get a ton of tv time and you know palo is i mean the the feel the the body the the fit in the modern nba it's all there my problem with palo and i you know i've really struggled i kind of held steady for most of this cycle having him as like the number two prospect behind chet and uh when i saw him in person i was like holy shit like this dude is a monster like just physically like you know some guys are listed at heights at weights that are very generous like palo legitimately looks like he's listed at the right height and weight he looks like he could step on an nba floor and not only not be overwhelmed but he could be like physically imposing at the nba level already so when you when I try to picture him a couple of years down the line, I'm like, what on earth could this guy possibly look like once he actually gets NBA strength conditioning? Uh, it could be scary. But, you know, when I went to see him the other night um, at the ACC tournament, you know, he had like these amazing stretches uh, against Miami where he took over and had just impacted the game. There were a lot of stretches where he felt invisible, and a lot of that was – I think because of Coach K's bad play calling and they're running the same play over and over with Roach and Trevor Keels um, handling the ball so much when all I wanted to do is just see a basic spread pick and roll between like AJ Griffin and Paolo like one time, but <laughs> just once. <laughs> but um, what scares me the most is there are times where he just seems okay with that. Like just, and he's a little too cool for school. And especially like when Mark Williams is off the floor and you really need him. Cause I think at the NBA level, he's going to have to play a little bit of small ball five, like to really make the most of, of what he could be. Like, I think that could be a problem in the right circumstance, but he just, he just progressively as the season has gone on and I'm sorry, you know, Palo fan club, you know, you're my boy, but I, I just, I need to see that effort and it just isn't consistently there. And I feel like it's gotten worse as the, the years gone on and his talent level and Duke's talent level is enough to, you know, get them to the finals of the ACC tournament without really breaking sweat, probably get to a certain point in the NCAA tournament. Um, but if they don't turn like, they're not a team. I think that's built the right way that they can turn it on now that they're in the tournament. Now they have to play every game at a hundred. I don't know if Paolo has that in him and he did, cause I didn't see it in high school. That was a worry. Um, yep. You know, I, I'm not worried about the, the shot. You know, it's not, it's none of that stuff. It's when he gets compared to Carmelo, you know, which if he turned into Carmelo, okay, let's take him number one. Cause Carmelo Anthony was like, you know, was a hall of famer who averaged 30 points a game and was like an absolute monster impact player for many, many years. But I don't know if he has the offensive scoring package. And when he gets compared to Carmelo, it's not 
like it's the scoring and everything, yeah, in the perimeter game, but it's also the question marks that Carmelo had on the other side of the ball. And he has those. And the thing is, it sucks because he's capable. Because I've seen him go out on the perimeter and just swallow up smaller guards. I've seen him bang in the post. I've seen him rotate over and not only like block shots, but like actually take charges. Like, um, I, I know he's capable of it. Is he going to show in the tournament that he wants it bad enough? Does he want to be the number one pick? Because he's got to show me. I mean, he doesn't have to show me. Like, who the fuck am I? But he's got to show that he you know, he wants it. And by doing the little things, is he willing to do the little things that I know Chet's willing to do the little things. I know Jabari is willing to do the little things. I think Jaden Ivey is willing to do the little things. I don't know that about Paolo. So that that's my concern with Paolo going forward. I agree with you. And it's funny because he kind of has the right opportunity to show that he can do the little things to show that he cares. Like when we talk about Paolo has really been struggling, especially over the last few weeks defensively, um, particularly around the basket in those small ball lines where they kind of go to him as sort of like a five man when Mark Williams is off the floor, kind of what you were talking about, Corey. But that Texas Tech team knows how to get to the basket. Gonzaga has two lethal interior finishers, two arguably dominant interior finishers in Drew Timmy and Chet Holgren. These are, these are opponents that I know Duke kind of has to take it just like every other single team in the tournament one game at a time. But eventually, if they want to get to where they would like to get to in Coach K's last season, which would be another Final Four berth, they're going to have to figure out one way or another how to deal with those matchups. And then when you talk about him from a scoring perspective, like this is this is his chance to carry this team offensively. This is his chance to be the number one option offensively and beat out a lot of really good and interesting teams. I mean, offensively, Texas Tech has so many guys – from like 6'6 six, six to 6'8 six, that they can throw at Palo. They can throw so many different unique defensive matchups at him. And then when we talk about Gonzaga, I mean, arguably going up against Chet Holmgren, that's, that is who's projected by many outlets to be the number one overall pick right now. So I think my question in terms of can he reclaim the throne as the top overall pick when we get to June, I, I actually think he's been given a little bit of a gift despite how tough the slate is. He's been given a much better opportunity than some of the other guys to, to maybe either gain some stock or, or widen the gap. I, I, at least that that's my opinion with, with the draw. What do you think, Albert? No, I, I tend to agree with you, uh, Nathan. It, my only thing is this, like everything that you just said is correct. It's rock solid, right? Um, the only interesting thing is that opportunity that you're talking about that Paolo has uh, Chet and Jabari have that same opportunity is what I'm thinking right now. And I feel like those guys, I mean, Chet, especially I, I'm kind of in, absolutely in love with him now. And I, I just feel like if Chet and Gonzaga make that type of run, you know, it, it's going to be hard, but at the same time, I, I do think about, I hate to keep using like baseball references, but imagine Duke makes it all the way to the final four. They even somehow win the national championship, which isn't crazy. I shouldn't make it sound like it's impossible, but then I feel like, you know, those older scouts in the NBA and we saw them um, out in Vegas, you know, they may start going like, Hey, you know, like, like in uh, like in Moneyball, like, Oh, he took his team to the final four. He took his team to the national championship. Look at his girlfriend, you know, things like that. I feel like it, it could happen where suddenly Paolo becomes the number one guy, you know? So it's not impossible. I just feel like, once again, the opportunity for Paolo to shine, I feel like Chet and Jabari are going to have that exact same option. And also, 
even Jaden Ivey. You know, I Jaden Ivey is a guy who I think may, if he goes absolutely ballistic and nuclear in this tournament, he may work himself into that top three discussion. Maybe I'm the only one who thinks that. I don't know. But um, I, I just, once again, I, I feel like the opportunity is there for all the top guys. And it's going to be, in my opinion, really hard for Paolo to get there, but not impossible. You're not the only one who's thinking that about Jaden Ivey, Albert. That's a, that's a little spoiler warning, a little teaser for everybody listening and or watching who subscribes to the No Sill and Substack. We might have, a, might have a spicy little tidbit coming out later this week about Mr. Jaden Ivey. But, so Paolo obviously won't be doing it alone. He has multiple teammates, as we referenced, and A.J. Griffin and Mark Williams, who will absolutely contribute to a run if Duke were to continue to stack up wins in the NCAA tournament. So I'm a big fan of the Rich Eisen show. I love when they do the segment, what's more likely. So I had to ask a what's more likely question on the show with you guys. So Corey, I will go to you. And I think this is actually an interesting one. What's more likely? AJ Griffin goes top five or Mark Williams gets drafted in the lottery, effectively giving Duke not just three first round picks in this draft, but three lottery picks. I would say AJ being drafted in the top five is more likely, but I, but I don't think it's like um, some crazy thought that Mark Williams would get drafted in the lottery. I would, I would put it at like 62, 38, like AJ goes top five, Mark Williams goes lottery. So I I think that there's definitely a world that both things happen also (laughs) like AJ goes top five, Mark Williams goes lottery. Um, which is crazy so, to say. Like, how many teams actually get three lottery picks in? Like, it, it's crazy to say, but everything I laid out about Paolo needing to help anchor the interior when Mark Williams is off the floor, well, when Mark Williams is on the floor, that's going to be a lot of his responsibility as well, going up against some dominant bigs and or legitimately interesting combo forwards when he gets switched out on the perimeter. So, like, he's going to have also every opportunity to accelerate and, and grow his draft stock through this tournament as well. Yeah, I've, and you know, he's shown that, like, on a big stage, you know, he's, he can turn it on. He he's arguably the, the best player against uh, Gonzaga when they played earlier in the year, right. on the floor. So um, Mark Williams definitely has a, a chance to really, you know, make a name for himself on the national level. You know, he, everybody who follows the draft obviously is aware of who Mark Williams is, but I think at the national level, now that like you just have your, your casual college basketball fans who don't tune in until now, and a lot of those people are crossover NBA fans. Um, I think he's got a chance really to, to make a name for himself with that audience. Albert, we got to ask the fun question since we've, we've talked about prominent teams in the West, as you mentioned, there's another favorite team of yours in the West, if not for a certain prospect that you have written about multiple times in those ceilings. You've talked about him in podcast form you are not the only person who likes Mr. Young Jung Lee of Davidson. So I will ask you, Albert, true or false, he is a first-round projected draft pick if Davidson wins at least one tournament game. Um, first off, Nate, you absolutely killed um, the pronunciation of his name, so good job. I know Ten I did. Points. Ten I points I did. to Gryffindor. Um, I, I will say uh, also – What, what is the correct pronunciation, Albert? You can't you – No, can't it's good. It was, it was really good. No, no, I didn't oh, just okay. see That was really good. Oh, okay. Really good. I thought you said it yeah. was incorrect. <laughs> no, I said, no, no, you aced it. It was awesome. Um, 
Also, look at the headshot on this kid. Awesome. I know. Right? Um, I, I just think, look, I, I try to be as real, realistic as possible. I get it. Um, he's Korean. I'm Korean. People are going to think uh, bias, Korean bias. It's fine. You could think that. And I, I enjoy that. Uh, but I just think he's a really good player. He had a really good tournament. Um, he's playing really, really well right now. Uh, Davidson's playing pretty well, too. Uh, it's too bad that they lost today, but uh, I think they're going to be ready to rock in the tournament, and they're going to be a tough team to beat. They play together. Uh, they've got shooters on the team. Um, I don't remember the name of their big Semanich. Sim- I'm so sorry. I, if you're watching this stream, buddy, I, I don't know how to say your name. But anyway, um, <laughs> they're a good team. I think Hyunjung Lee, if he wins one game, will he make be a first-round prospect? I'm not sure, to be honest. I, I, I feel like if I'm totally honest and real with myself, He's probably a second round pick. He may even go undrafted as much as I hate to say that. So you want him to be a first round pick. Yeah, I mean, I I, I could see it, man. I mean, he's 6'7". He shoots the hell out of the ball. He's really, really good off the ball. Um, His cutting, he crashes the boards all day long. He, if you look, I mean, I think Metcalf was the first one, Tyler Metcalf of uh, No Ceilings, was the first one to put me onto this. But his numbers at the rim are just absolutely elite. He's unbelievable. And people will say, oh, he's just going and he's getting gimmies. But it's not – I don't think it's that simple. Like, even watching him this week, the threat of the shot is so dangerous that he is creating looks at the basket just by being himself and by being such a good shooter. And also he his cutting to the basket is fantastic. He's crashing the boards, he's cleaning things up. So I, once again, I think he's an excellent player. Realistically, I just don't think he'll go in the first round, but if he did, I will cry my eyes out. But um, I just think he's a great player. Never say never, Albert. If they come up with an upset over Michigan State and they give, they give Duke a run for their money, ne- never say never. Corey, what about you? True or false? I don't think he's going to be a first rounder. I think he's a first round talent. I think that um, you have a real good argument if you're a, a Lee fan for why he should go in the first round. Many of the reasons why Albert laid out there, uh, especially with a league you know that loves big shooters. And I think historically, and we went, we covered him on the Draft Act podcast, and we went through a list of like guys who shoot it like him at his height and they mostly don't fail eventually in the league. They catch on somewhere like in the right role where a team is smart enough to just let them jack a bunch of threes, even if it's not in like a 35 minute per game role. Like they, these guys stick around just because they're elite at this one really important aspect of basketball. But uh, ultimately I don't think he's going to be a first round pick. And like Albert said, like there's a chance he doesn't get drafted, but certainly uh, a tournament win does put him in the national spotlight a little bit more and you're seeing it. He just got a feature on ESPN.com. So, you know, there, there's a, there's a little bit of momentum for, for Mr. Lee and, and deservedly so, cause he's had a, a fantastic career and I think he's a good NBA prospect. If anybody hasn't gone and watched film on him, I really didn't know who he was to be perfectly honest coming into the season. I had to do some homework and he, he is a really fun player to his credit. And I think the size, the shooting ability, what he can do off the ball it all gives him an opportunity to find a home in the NBA. So definitely wanted to make that one of the interesting questions I asked before we rotate to the next duo. Everybody has this job tonight. Everybody's going to essentially give one guy who is not in the tournament field, but someone who draft fans can't forget about despite all of the March madness. So Corey, I will go to you first. Who is that guy who has your interest peaked? who, draft fans should not forget once the once the draft comes around 
Welcome to the Ryan Rollins show, everyone. Um, All right. Ryan, uh, Ryan Rollins from Toledo has been a guy that I have really, really taken an interest in. As of late, um, I believe Sam Vecini and um, Matt Penny on, on the Game Theory podcast said that uh, he was one of two 19-year-olds that were averaging at least 19 points per game. And I believe that was off because Johnny Davis had turned 20 uh, recently. So uh, Ryan Rollins may be the only 19-year-old averaging 19 points per game. But the kid is just so smooth. His offensive game is just unbelievably advanced. His his handle, his shot making, he reminds me a lot of like a six foot four inch version of Brandon Ingram. Um, he rebounds the ball. The question is like, is his three ball going to come around where he's shooting at high volume and hit like 37, 38% or something like that? Because right now I think he's at like 33, 34% from three, but he's taken a lot of tough shots off the bounce. Very similar to Johnny Davis in that, that regard. I just think his scoring package is so, so damn smooth. And I think he can be a real legit isolation, pick and roll ball handler um, at the next level. And uh huge fan. I think he's, he's a guy that is going to pick up a lot of momentum as this cycle continues on towards the draft. And we have words about him at no NBA.com. If you aren't subscribed, yeah. please go do so. Check out, check out that lovely piece. Albert, who you got? Um. <clears throat> My guy is Harrison Ingram from Stanford. Um, he's a guy that, um, if I'm totally honest, I, I watched a little bit, but not a ton until I saw him play live in Vegas. And I mean, I think it really comes down to this. Like, I, I really do believe um, I was with Rucker and Rucker kept saying this, but he was like, he should go back to school. And I, and I, and I really agree with that because I think with Ingram, I would like him to spend the summer locked in a gym just shooting 5,000 threes a day. I think that will really help him a lot. I, I think the shooting is a real question with him. The playmaking was on display. You could see that he has a real feel for the game. I mean, we see how live too, and it, it, it's, it's there. The only thing is the shooting isn't consistent enough. He's not really a threat to be much of a scorer. Um, so if, if he can work on that shot, I think that'll really be a game changer for him. I also think, and, and I look, I know we're in an age where we've, we body shame people and make feel, people feel bad for being a couple pounds overweight. Um, but Ingram, I think it, it would benefit him to maybe cut some pounds, maybe do a little bit more cardio. Um, I'd like him to be, he, he looked a little doughy. Is that the right way to put it? Um, when, when I saw him live, but did not expect um, that yeah. coming about Harrison Ingram. I thought those words might come about David Roddy. A little, a little well, I mean, well, that's show, but... of course, but like <laughs> maybe it's just what I saw, right? Maybe it's just me, but I thought he was a little doughy. Um, and, um, yeah, but he's definitely on the slower him, side, which would, which right. would make sense. I, I definitely think the shooting though, like if he just locks in on that this summer and then comes into, you know, next season as an improved shooter, I think it'll do a lot for his draft stock, but the playmaking is real, man. He's really fun to watch. You could, you could tell that he knows what he's doing on a court, but I'd like to see him be a little bit more of a threat offensively. Well, that's going to do it for you too. Corey, why don't you just remind the audience one more time where they can find you on social media? Uh, you can find me at Corey Tulliba on uh, Twitter at the NBA Draft Dude on YouTube. And uh, you could find all the written work at noceilingsnba.com. Albert? 
Uh, you can find me at Alberto Gim on Twitter. Also at GTGNBA uh, is where you'll find me. I, my written work is also on No Ceilings. And uh, Corey and I are together because we are the Draft Act podcast duo. And uh, yes, thanks for having us. Absolutely. We we had to we had to kick the show off with a bang, and we're going to keep it rolling. We're going to bring in two rookies, two rookies. That's right to the No Ceilings Collective. Next up is going to be. Stephen Gillespie and Maxwell Boundboards. Stephen, I see you're here. Maxwell, you are also here. Guys, how are you doing? I'll start with you, Stephen. Man, Nathan, I'm awesome. It's a glad I'm glad to be here. Excited to be here making my no ceilings debut on the selection Sunday show, man. Yeah, talk about making quite a debut, right? We're we're just throwing you right into the fire. <laughs> I mean, it's trial by fire right now, man. Sink or swim. Let's go. Maxwell, how you doing, boss? I'm doing great, and uh, the the Boundboards brand is officially dead. I've disavowed it. It's all no ceilings now, so it's now Maxwell Boundbach. We're done okay. with Boundboards. It's all about no ceilings going forward. I'm fired up. I'm ready to go. Bracket can I, can, reveal. Can I call you Maxwell up. No Ceilings? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Maxwell Baum No Ceilings is going to be the official <laughs> uh, official name going forward. Go ahead, Steven. Sorry. I mean, oh, no, know. I was just saying let's ho. I was just doing the whole inside thing that we got. Oh, man. <laughs> That that inside joke has to die. I'm I'm sorry. That that, <laughs> that that thing has to die. Not on my watch, brother. So I wanted to talk about some SEC basketball with you guys, Stephen. You are you are very much aware and in SEC country. And Maxwell, I know that you and I have had multiple conversations over the course of the year. You've also been watching some good old SEC hoops. So that's kind of where I wanted to land on with you two guys. So. In terms of where I wanted to start would be Kentucky, who we just found out from the selection show is in the East region. I may or may not have a chance to, to see Kentucky. If they were to make it to the Elite Eight, I will be there when the tournament takes shape in Philadelphia in a few weekends. Very excited for that opportunity. But in pointing a question at Kentucky, we have to come to not Oscar Shibway, but Ty Ty Washington. And my question specifically, Stephen, I'll start with you. Does Ty Ty Washington's lottery status depend on a deep tournament run by Kentucky? And let me just preface that by saying their path won't exactly be a walk in the park. Right, right away, their second game could be against uh, Murray State, which I know we've already been talking privately that Murray State could very well upset them. So I do not think that's going to be an easy test, especially for somebody in the backcourt, such as Mr. Washington. So could his draft stock be derailed if they were to make an, an early early bow out of the tournament? Yeah, I think that Ty Ty, you know, the, the class already isn't considered to be strong when it comes to point guard play, right? And Ty Ty is kind of the head of that class. If you don't consider Jay Ivey potentially be able to take over starting point guard responsibilities at some point. I think that his stock could benefit from a deep run, but I don't know if it necessarily goes down a whole lot by a quick exit because of what we've already seen so far in the season, right? But as Corey kind of touched on earlier, we have these guys who, you know, casual fans is kind of an insult, but I mean that with the utmost respect. Like people who don't watch a lot of college basketball who are making their first, you know, viewership known. Ty Ty might be a guy who, if he hits his stride, I think a lot of front offices could fall in love with his game. You know, he has the potential to play on and off the ball. He might get the benefit of that Kentucky thing where maybe not all of his skills are on display because he's had to make sacrifices for the greater good of the team. 
He's playing next to a college player of the year. I think that he could benefit from a deep run, but if he's if he gets a, a quick exit, I don't think that my opinion of him is going to change very much at all. Maxwell, what about you? Because I don't know. I, I, I might disagree with Steven, and I know that I know that we're scouts and mm-hmm. People like us aren't necessarily going to fall into the tropes of, well, if, if their team loses in the first round of the NCAA tournament, like, why should we view them as much of an NBA player as we did yesterday? But the public does feed into those narratives for a lot of scouts and executives who haven't been able to travel around the country during the NBA season, and they're really getting eyes on March Madness of the tournament. Like, this could be one of their first or second times seeing a guy like Ty Ty Washington. If he doesn't perform, if he doesn't play well at the position he's projected to play in, he, he, he could very well drop. And I'm, we're not talking about out of the first round, but my question was pointed more towards out of the lottery. Like if he's already in the late lottery as it is, might might not take too much, especially given some of the questions people have to knock him out of that conversation. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's I think it's very possible that it could knock him out of the lottery. I don't think it should, personally. I want to be very upfront with that. I think just in terms of decision-making, some of the stuff we saw with his on-ball defense against Kennedy Chandler uh, late in the game when he was isolated did a phenomenal job on him. Um, I don't think it should. I, I'm a big believer in his ability to shoot off the dribble. I think just his decision-making, he's a real point guard. His pass placement is outstanding. Uh, he can hit lobs. He can throw bounce passes. He can just move it quickly on the perimeter. I like everything about Ty Ty Washington's offensive game outside of the fact that he's not the best at getting pressure on the rim at this point. Um, but I think you look at all those skills that he does have, uh, he's a pretty low turnover guy for the most part. And then you also consider his playing environment. Uh, Oscar Shibway is not a stretch center. Um, uh, Severe Wheeler is not a stretch point guard. Keon <laughs> uh, Brooks is is kind of hit or miss. Other than Kellen Grady, you know, Davion Mintz here or there, like he doesn't really have a lot of bombers or spacing surrounding him. So when you really put the context on the fact that he doesn't get to the rim a lot, do you feel a little bit better about it when you consider that the paint's clocked a lot of the time and things like that? So in my opinion, Ty Ty Washington is a clear cut lottery player. Um, but that Murray state team is a buzzsaw. And if that's who they run into in the second round, I don't, I don't love that for him. And then a guy like Bouye, if they meet San Francisco in the second round, uh, is real pesky on the ball. Uh, so I think there is a chance that he could run into some early trouble and it could affect his draft stock. Personally, I've been higher on, on Ty Ty than the consensus a lot of this year. I think right now I'm, I'm around normal. I've got him around 13, but um, I, I do think he's a, a real lottery talent. And I think it would be a shame if like one one or two bad games will hurt him. But I think that combined with the recent injuries, the fact that he hasn't had a big signature performance in a while, it's possible. Um, but I again, I, I don't think that it, it should hurt him that much. I personally would agree with the both of you. I see him as a lottery talent. I, I don't know why people have a very long number of questions in regards to Washington. I think he's very poised. He's mature. He is the type of guard who could actually lift his team to a higher level when it comes to the NCAA tournament. Because he, even when he doesn't have the ball in his hands, he just kind of knows how to relocate and do smart things without the basketball. Kind of like what we've already seen in the SEC tournament when he had that 25-point performance. That wasn't necessarily all on-ball craft and juice. That was a lot of him being able to move and relocate without the basketball, sprint out to the corners, and just make open shots. So there's multiple ways where he can provide value, and I think that the tournament is a perfect chance for him to showcase some of those talents because at the end of the day, it's going to require him just being able to fit in to have help that team win basketball games to help him advance to the tournament. And if he can do that at this level on this stage, that would bode really well for his chance to be able to do similar things on an even bigger stage 
in the NBA. Just be able to fit in, know what's required of you, and go out, perform, and stay composed while doing so. And I think Ty Ty is a great candidate to sure he could fall a little bit, but I think he could also help himself or at least solidify his case as well in the tournament. Let's let's stay on the train of some prospects whose draft stocks could kind of take a little big of a hit. And I'll ask a multiple choice question for this one. Which SEC prospects draft stock could take the biggest hit with an early exit? And I'll give you the choices that I have here. Walker Kessler, Tari Eason, Jalen Williams, or Kennedy Chandler. Maxwell, I'll start with you on this one. Oh, sorry about that. Rookie, rookie behavior on my half, behalf there. Um, <laughs> had myself muted. So I Te- think technical Kennedy, issues always happen on a live stream. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Kennedy Chandler to me is lower than a lot of these guys are. Um, I think he's more kind of back end of the first round, early second type among among front offices. I know that there's people uh, on the Twitter.com draft community that have him as like a lottery guy. I don't think that's realistically where he is. Um, Jalen Williams, I think is, is kind of seen as a second round guy. So I don't see anything happening to them that would be totally catastrophic. Even if they have like a really bad performance or something like that. I think with Kennedy Chandler, uh, the fact that sometimes Tennessee just can't throw a grape into the ocean. I, I don't, it's hard for me to imagine a game where like he is the reason that they're failing. Um, Jalen Williams, I wouldn't be shocked if he's go, if he goes back to school, I've got him in the thirties right now. I think that's a little higher than front offices do. Uh, because he's not really a true rim protector as a 6'10 guy, which can be can be troubling. Um, I think Walker Kessler might be the answer because I think for a while I was I was lower on him, uh, and then he just had that big triple double game. He rips off all these performances where you know he's blocking every shot in sight. Uh, he has games where he's hitting threes, and now it seems like those Auburn road losses, the tide is starting to turn a little bit and there's starting to be these real concerns about how he guards out in space and things like that. If Mark Williams has some good performances, if Coloco has some good performances and Auburn just kind of craps out early, I think it could get really ugly for him. Um, so I, to me, it's Kessler. I think there is a Tari Eason argument, but again, LSU just fired their head coach. So I think even if he has a bad outing, the fact that he doesn't have a lot of playmaking around him, and their head coach just got fired. It's a lot more excusable. Walker Kessler, I think, uh, has sort of a, a higher level of expectations. And if things go poorly, it's it, it could have a lot to do with his defense. So to me, he's he's the one in the most danger. I think Jalen Williams has a chance to fall out of first round conversations if he doesn't do well playing in arguably the hardest region of the NCAA tournament. We already talked with Corey Albert about some of the matchups that Arkansas could face in the West. They did. They have, they have Gonzaga, Duke, and Texas Tech all in the same region on top of a few very fun sleepers. Maxwell, I know you like that Boise State team, Memphis. I do. Is, I felt so – I was so bummed when they got Memphis. It like Memphis is playing it right off the bat. We know UConn is a very interesting team out of the Big East. They have size and length at multiple different positions. So Jalen Williams has a chance. If, if, if he would look look a little bad and maybe not ready for, for the bright lights, maybe that could push him into – more solidified second round status. And maybe at that point he would want to come back to school and boost his draft stock and, and, and maybe not even just get into the first round conversation, but who knows, maybe he explodes and he, he gets up near the lottery. Um, but 
I really like your argument, Maxwell, for, for Walker Kessler. I'd be curious to, to get Steven's thoughts on this conversation as well. But I'll just say about Walker Kessler, that Auburn team, we know they're, they're probably going to beat Jacksonville State, right? That next game is really interesting for Mr. Kessler. What's the issue that we've all been talking about that you just said, Maxwell, defending in space? Miami has multiple perimeter threats who can put him on an island and do some real damage and make him look bad in that specific area. And even USC, if he gets matched up onto a stretch big like Isaiah Mobley, could also give him some problems as well, depending on depending on who Walker has to guard. So just from that alone, I think that I would agree with you in that it likely is Walker that's the answer because I think he could run into the most problems for himself in particular the earliest on even if Auburn would still win those games. What do you think about the question, Stephen? Yeah, so I think Maxwell did a, a fantastic job of laying out a case for Walker, but just to have a little bit of a uh, little bit of different dialogue, I want to talk about Kennedy Chandler because I think this is a guy who came into the season, started off really hot. We started seeing, you know, graphics in the middle of games saying like the next Chris Paul, right? Like we started that was a real thing early on in the season. And then it just kind of disappeared. And then a couple of weeks go by and then all of us kind of collectively are looking and saying, oh, hey, did you guys know that Kennedy Chandler is like a 37% three-point shooter all of a sudden out of nowhere? And that Tennessee is actually like a better basketball team than what we thought early on in the season. And I think NBA front offices were kind of looking at that and saying, okay, we know that that point guards kind of have like this intangible quality that if the team is succeeding, especially in college, the point guards probably going to have a, a good bit of the reason why they're succeeding. So I think that Kennedy Chandler has kind of been on the upswing for a lot of front offices because even though he's a little bit undersized, he's leading this team, he's playing better, he's fixing his inefficiencies, whereas, you know, Walker Kessler has already kind of been on like a little bit of a downward trajectory in my opinion. So if we're talking about momentum coming into the tournament, I think Kennedy Chandler might have the the biggest momentum killer if he loses in the early round, whereas Walker Kessler is kind of like, all right, we're seeing that coming right now. Yeah, but the the thing, my, my slight pushback on Chandler is that he's already kind of projected late first, early second. I think Walker Kessler has risen. If, uh, we saw some mock drafts a few weeks ago. I mean, Chad and Raphael were mocking him like in the lottery. So I think that from that perspective, I think Walker has more to potentially lose. I think, is Kennedy Chandler really going to drop any lower at this point? Like, I, I think his stock has in some respects, sort of bottomed out a little bit. I think with this SEC tournament run and then what Tennessee could possibly do in the tournament, like it, it is not outside their own possibility that team goes on a run and they make the Final Four in that region. I mean, I know I know Arizona's a really good squad. They're probably my favorite. To come they might the be region. the team, man. They might be the team, but so, some of the other teams that have, I mean, they have Villanova as the two seed, um, Illinois as the four seed. I don't, I don't think either of those teams are really strong upper level seeds. And then you have some other sleepers in the field as well. Ohio state could get really hot. They have some good NBA talent, Colorado state, maybe David Roddy just absolutely goes bonkers. Maybe Michigan even knocks off David Roddy in Colorado state. There's a lot of teams in that region that can make it really interesting and can make a path even easier for a Tennessee team that's proven themselves has already gone on one run. They're hot. We've seen conference champions go on these massive, massive runs once they get to the big dance. Cause they just kept playing. They're so in tune with each other and they just keep winning ball games. So, I think Chandler's actually, if I were to have asked the opposite question, who has the most to gain from the tournament, I think he would be the answer to that question more than any of those other guys. So, Maxwell, I might have picked, I might have picked Tari Eason. Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting. I mean, 
yeah. In terms of the the most to gain question, I, I do think it's yeah, it could be it could be Kennedy Chandler just because they're so hot right now. I do think that who was it? Was LSU matched with the Iowa State? Hang on, because that one. that was the thing to me is like I I'd, I'd like it to be Tari, and I I've got Tari lottery right now, but that Iowa State team can force a lot of turnovers. Yeah, it's and LSU and Iowa State, yeah. and that's been the thing that's killed LSU a whole lot. So I I. There's a world where that LSU team just has a really, really bad day uh, against Iowa State. But I think it's the most to gain. I, I, yeah, I think Kennedy Chandler, I don't think he has a lot to lose because I do agree. I do think his stock is bottomed out to a degree. But I also think that if he has a good performance, I think people are already kind of reevaluating. Like I personally have been reevaluating him recently because I sort of tuned out on Tennessee. They weren't performing that well. He wasn't hitting shots from the outside. And a point guard who's realistically probably 5'11", and isn't shooting threes is not a guy I was interested in. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think his stock could really get a ton lower. And I think if, yeah, if they keep winning, people are really going to throw that winner label on him because he is so important to that team. And I would say most of the game, like if, if the Razorbacks get hot and Jalen Williams is averaging, you know, that's, four to four to five too. assists in a game, we might be hearing some real first round consideration from him. Well, and like the thing I, I tweeted a clip of him the other day too, where he was cross matched with like a, he had like a six, five guy on him and he just like took him off the bounce and did like a reverse layup move in traffic. And yep. I think one thing that Jalen Williams is going to have in his corner is that at least in my opinion, I think this is true for front offices, like the ability to replicate somebody is a big factor in their draft stock. There aren't a lot of guys like Jalen Williams that exist period. Uh, so if he has a really good tournament, I think teams are going to look at him and say like, there's not that many guys that are 6'10 that are this high feel that can do the things he can do with the ball. Oh, if um, Arkansas were to find a way to knock off Gonzaga, draft Twitter would just lose. Oh, man. Hands. Oh, my gosh. I yeah. don't even want to be on Twitter that day. To, Anything to is possible. <laughs> this, I mean, especially this year with Gonzaga, we've seen crazier things happen, right? So, I mean, it, it could happen. So, I can't have a segment without talking the number one overall pick. I had Corey Albert on. I had to, to give the Palo Bencaro potential number one overall spin. We're talking about SEC. Jabari Smith plays for Auburn, overtook the number one spot for a lot of people. I'd say like that December, January range. And it's been a real battle between him and Chet since. But if Auburn were to make a deep run in the tournament, can Jabari Smith take the crown? as the top overall prospect in the 2022 draft. Steven, what do you think? I think so. I did a show with um, Tyler Rucker talking about this, that, you know, which players need to kind of take the take the attention in this tournament. I think it's a combination of Paulo, Chet, Jabari, and Jaden Ivey because there's really not a lot of ground between the four of them in a lot of people's eyes, right? Like, we have our are ones and twos of people who say, hey, it's a one-man race, and I respect that. But me personally, I think coming into this tournament, it could be any combination of the three that it came into the season being. I also wouldn't be blown away if it was Jaden Ivey. So if you have that wide open of a race, whoever kind of is the last man saying, I could see people looking at that as reasons to take somebody. And with Jabari Smith Jr., it's already not crazy to consider him being number one. But let's say he outlasts Chet or Paolo or or Jay Nivey coming into the tournament. I think that he could be the guy who takes it number one because he's already one of the most versatile forwards in the in the college basketball. He can shoot, he can defend, 
He can hit step backs. He can rebound. He can run the floor in transition. He does a lot of things well. If he shows out in the tournament, he could end up taking the number one pick. Maxwell, what do you think? Yeah, I think it's I think it's possible, but I think it's less likely than we might believe. Because I think on paper you look at it and you say, okay, Jabari Smith, it's a one-two with him and Chet. Uh, you know, Jabari Smith does really well. You know, maybe he should be number one. I think there's a couple of contingencies that go along with it. I think one of them is I do think you probably need Gonzaga to bow out early also. Yeah. I, and, and it's possible. I mean, it could get Memphis in the second Absolutely. round. Absolutely. get really nasty. Um, with Jabari, though, it's tricky because of how Auburn plays. And I, I love the Wendell Green experience as much as anybody when it's going well. Uh, but the Wendell Green experience is is its own thing. And so is the Katie Johnson experience. And a lot of, a lot of the times these Auburn guards are just jacking shots and the ball's not really going to Jabari. Sometimes the ball is sticking in the wrong hands and he just doesn't really get as much opportunity as he should some nights. Uh, and, and, you know, late in the game, maybe they'll go to him a bit more and whatever, but I, I think there's a real possibility that Auburn could make a deep run, but they just play how they're playing right now. And Jabari Smith looks no different than he did a month or two ago. Um, so I think for this to happen, I think it requires Gonzaga out early. And I think it requires a slight adjustment in how Auburn plays, uh, to be more Jabari centric or just him being more assertive. And when he gets the ball to saying, Hey, I'm, I'm taking this and and then him being hot from there. So I think on paper, it's easy to look at it and say, yeah, Auburn goes on a deep run. Jabari's the number one guy it's over. Um, but I do think it's a lot more complicated than it seems. Yeah, and I would also say it would depend on how standout as she is on the defensive side of the ball too, right? Like we, we've seen the highlights of of the three-point shots and everybody knows that it's a pure shot. It's been that way all season long. But if he can be a lockdown dude throughout the tournament as well against the other team's best player and clutch moments, that also boosts his stock in my opinion. My fun question, since I want to give everyone a little bit of a curveball in these segments – is David Roddy, I know, David Roddy, coming absolutely out of nowhere. Like, what? Like, what? why are we talking about David Roddy? Is <laughs> David Roddy the next mid-major darling who could crack the first round of the draft? Should he carry Colorado State on a sweet 16 run and further? And just to put in context, I, I, I listen, I'm not going to rule that out for, for Colorado State. I think they have... A, a not a great draw. I wouldn't say a favorable draw, but one where I, I wouldn't put it out of the realm of possibility. And this man, regardless of what we can say about his weight, about his physical stature, he just keeps doing everything you could possibly ask a player to do on the offensive end. And despite all of the defensive concerns we may have, a big tournament run to showcase a lot of those offensive strengths. We, we've seen crazier things happen before in terms of guys rising up into the first round conversation once once March Madness gets going. So I, I'm not going to rule it out, Maxwell. Is, is that just a crazy, stupid question I should take off? No. What, what do you it's, think? Yeah, it's not at all. It, and like the same thing I said with Jalen Williams, there's a real like unique quality to David Roddy. They're just not a bunch of dudes that are like 6'4", 260 that can put it on the floor and can just drain spot up shots and can post up guys and then have this lightning quick spin move. It's, it's not a skill set or body type that you can replicate. It's, it's very rare. Um, so I think, yeah, if Colorado state goes on this big run, um, a more creative team, I think could, could see something in him. 
I do think it is going to take a creative team because the, the elephant in the room yep. with him is that he, he can't really guard anybody. He has length. Um, so I don't think it's like out of the question that he could, but right now he doesn't really try a lot on defense. My other concern with him is that there's times where he doesn't really do much off the ball. And part of that is he is their best player, but he'll, he'll come up like I, there's been plays where they'll inbound to the point guard and like they're coming up half court. He's already like, all right, give me the ball. Let me cook. Give me the ball. Uh, so I do have a little bit of concerns with him and like, what is he in a reduced role in an NBA setting where he doesn't have the ball a lot. Um, but my general rule of thumb is if I don't understand a player, but they're talented, I think someone smarter than me will figure it out. And there's a lot of people smarter than me that work in the NBA is in almost all of them. Uh, so I, I think that he does have a real shot. I think if this team goes on a run, someone's going to talk themselves into it. I mean, he's already climbing on big boards. I've seen him inside the top 40 on big mm-hmm. boards. So like, what, what are we talking about? Like 10 spots in a class where we could see like anywhere from 10 to 17 prospects out of like a top mm-hmm. 58 ultimately come back to school. Like, that, that's not that's not a, a, a ton of ground to, to ask for to make up in that conversation. What do you think, Stephen? I don't buy him as a first round dude personally. Um, even with a deep run, I just don't like to the other coin of what or the other side of the coin that Max is talking about. There's not another guy like him in the NBA. That there might be a reason. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like six <laughs> four two two sixty. He's too slow for wings. He's too short. For forwards, I, I don't think that he's challenging many fours, uh, you know, in the paint or laterally on defense. Uh, he is a great shooter, but like Maxwell already touched on as well, he does not look very interested in doing anything when the ball's not in his hands. And if he's if he's not a first round guy, even a late first round guy, you're not necessarily looking to draft a David Roddy and say, "Hey, I want to put the ball in your hands." So if he doesn't do any of those other things well, it's a really tough sell for me. Like, I don't mind a second-round flyer. Personally, I wouldn't do it, but I could totally understand that as opposed to, like, a first-round draft on a guy like David Roddy myself. Just just had to ask the question, my friends. I will say, Stephen, I'll, I'll throw a question to you that I don't necessarily have on the sheet, but I know you'd be prepared to answer it. Let's go. And anything we can expect to see from Alabama? They did draw a six seed in the tournament. Anything we can expect out of J.D. Davison or Keon Ellis? You think either of those guys could could boost some draft stock? Uh, they've they've fallen out of the good graces of some of us here at No Ceilings and, <laughs> and across draft Twitter. I don't know if they can really do anything to impress anyone. I would just love to see personally Keon Ellis get hot in the tournament. I'm I think I'm more higher on him than I am on J.D. Davison coming into this tournament. I think a lot of NBA teams want that type of player a guy who can get really hot from outside, who you trust to make a smart read on the offensive end. And then defensively, he's not afraid to go to war against anybody. So I am, I personally would love to see Keon Ellis, but then again, I mean, if, if JD Davison just shows off that freakish athleticism and, and pieces together a couple strong runs, who knows what could happen? I mean, we're talking about David Roddy potentially being a first round guy. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that if Alabama goes nuts, that we're not talking about J.D. Davidson being a late first-round guy. I'll tell you what, they freaking need some of his athleticism because if they, they could possibly be looking at a, a next-game matchup against that Texas Tech team. They're, they're also in this, this west-of-death region, this absolutely god-awful region to be in. Uh, I, man, that, that is such a tough draw. I could yep. not believe it. They were <laughs> Unreal. Going through it. I wrote down like 24, 25 teams that we were going to be trying to touch on throughout the show, and it's like nine of them were already in like one – region i'm like oh my god that is just brutal but let's wrap up 
this segment with you two by doing something that I mentioned we were going to do with every pair throughout the course of the stream. Who is one guy who's not in the tournament field that draft fans can't forget about despite everything going on with March Madness? Who is somebody that they still need to make sure they're doing their homework on and paying attention to? Stephen, I'll start with you. I personally like Vince Williams Jr. out of VCU. I think that if you want a guy who can shoot, he can do that. If you want a guy who can pass, he can do that. If you want a guy who can defend, he can do that. That's a connector like in every sense of the word. Uh, he's a smart guy. He's a senior playing for VCU. Have had very talented players come out of that program. I think that a team who does their homework um, in the second round, I, I don't think anyone's taking him in the first, but I will, although I would love to see it, I think he might actually be a first-round talent. I think a team who is smart in the second round, early to mid, they, they target a guy like a Vince Williams Jr., and he could eventually work his way into a team's rotation. And then we hear everybody say, how did this guy fall all the way to the second round? I, I love Vince Williams Jr. Maxwell, who you got? Yeah, so I've got Jalen Williams. And I know you're thinking, wait, we already talked about Jalen Williams. <laughs> Not that Jalen Williams. Santa Clara's Jalen Williams. That's all right. I'm seeing double for Jalen Williams. Wait, wait uh, to just dump on that that inside joke that, that we have here at No Seals. <laughs> just throw me under the bus with the Jalen Williams confusion. But go, go, go ahead. Yeah, so Jalen Williams uh, out of Santa Clara. Young for a junior, doesn't turn 21 until next month. Uh, six foot six, reported seven foot wingspan, which you love to see. Um, pretty good on defense. He'll compete on that end despite having a really high workload on the offensive side. Um, his synergy numbers are insane. One of the best pick and roll players in college basketball. Very good spot up shooter. Uh, and he's a really good passer and decision maker. If you chase him off the line, he can shoot off the dribble, but he's very unselfish. He sees the floor exceptionally well. Um, I, I do think he's more okay as opposed to good as an athlete. Uh, I do think that puts a bit of a limit on his ceiling. He's probably more of a rotation player. Uh, it, pretty hard for me to imagine him as a starter, but just in terms of a guy who competes, can shoot, has length, defends, sees the floor, he's everything the teams are looking for and that sort of backup wing spot. Uh, so to me, Jalen Williams out of Santa Clara is just an absolute guy. Uh, definitely someone that you take a swing on in the second round. I love it. And if I could real quick, if you need proof of how talented this guy is as a scorer, go and watch them score off against Gonzaga. He was not afraid to go right at Chet Holmgren. There was a play in that game where he put Chet on skates and drilled the backup three. I think it was their first game against Gonzaga, but he, he is not afraid of anybody. I love his defense. I love watching him defend and pick and roll. There, There is not a screen that that man doesn't fight through. I, I absolutely mm-hmm. love it. If anybody just needs a, a good time, they're, they're, they're draft sickos like us, go watch some <laughs> go watch some Jalen Williams offense and also some Jalen Williams defense. But thank you guys for joining me on the second segment of the stream. Steven, where can everybody find you on social media? Well, they can find me on Twitter at Steven G Hoops. That's where I'm the most active. You can, you're going to start hearing me on the Draft Deeper podcast with this yes, handsome double over here. And, uh, you know, written work's going to be populating at some point at noceilingsnba.com. Maxwell. Yeah, the Twitter handle, despite what I said earlier, is still at Boundboards. Um, so, <laughs> right. Can't, uh, can't give it up. Still keeps the Yeah, keeps yeah. The so that, that's still the Twitter handle. Um, written work is going to be at No Ceilings, uh, going to be part of the mock draft piece uh, that we've got coming out here. And then the first uh, prospect overview at No Ceilings is slated for Friday. So keep an eye out for that. Um, but yeah, that's that's where all my work is. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for joining me. Next up. Thanks for having us. Yeah, absolutely. Next up, I have 
two other gentlemen coming in. We're going to talk some Big Ten basketball, and we're going to get into some Big 12 basketball as well. I have Nick and Alex behind the scenes waiting to join me on the show. I see Nick. Alex, yes, we do. How you guys doing? Oh, Alex is reporting for duty. Alex, it's so good to see you, man. I feel like I haven't seen you. In, in I know. It's, it's been a little bit. It's been a little bit. Life happens, but I'm glad that, glad that everything's working out for you. I'm glad that you're here to join us. Nick, how you doing? I'm doing good. You know, I'm seeing you again, which obviously makes me – no, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're talking about Johnny Davis without without Metcalf, thank God, right? Yeah, yes, yeah. beautiful. Beautiful moment where we can say all the bad things we want to say about Johnny Davis, which actually isn't all that many, but, you know, at least Metcalf isn't here to shoot us down for it. I specifically said that I part of the reason why I gave you boys the Big Ten to talk about is because I just couldn't hear him utter more words about Johnny Davis on this feed. He's already done that enough. So – it, it, it's time for us to do it. So let's let's get into some Big Ten conversation. And I've been pitching a lot of questions through the stream regarding draft stock and if players can rise or fall depending on specific tourney runs. So let's pitch that similar question about some of the Big Ten guys, shall we? So which Big Ten prospect has the most to lose in terms of draft stock? Should their team get upset early on? And the guys I have picked out are three projected top ten picks, Jay Nivey, the aforementioned Johnny Davis, and Keegan Murray. Nick, I'll start with you. Which one of those three you think could take a bigger hit to their draft stock if their team would underperform? I think that probably the guy who would take the biggest hit to his stock if he underperformed is Jaden Ivey, just because with the other two guys, I think a huge part of why they've risen up draft boards as dramatically as they have this season is because they're kind of the alpha and the omega for their respective teams with Keegan Murray at Iowa and Johnny Davis at Wisconsin. With Jaden Ivey, I think there's sort of the expectation that because he has a better team around him, that if they sort of flame out early on, that I think a lot will be on his head as sort of the leader of a really solid team, as opposed to with Iowa or with Wisconsin. I think that unless one of Keegan Murray or Johnny Davis just has an absolutely awful performance, that because their teams around them aren't as strong, people won't sort of put it on their heads as much as they would if... Jaden Ivey flames out early on. Alex, what do you think? Yeah, I'm uh, I'm hopefully that Tyler Metcalf is not listening because I'm gonna go with Johnny <laughs> Davis. Um so he already commented he won't be silent, so he's definitely no no I don't I don't think like if he does drop, it's not gonna be very far. Um <laughs> but out of this group, I think he probably has the the highest um you know downside movement in the draft if he doesn't you know, if Wisconsin might lose in the first round or second round and he has, you know, an inefficient game, um, you know, he's a little banged up right now too. So he might get the benefit of the doubt. But when I'm looking at Jaden Ivey, I, I think the, I think four is probably his floor. Uh, I don't think even, even if he has a bad game in, in the tournament, I don't think he's going to get drafted lower than four. Uh, Keegan Murray has been on the rise. And as Nick mentioned, he's kind of been the, the lead horse for Iowa in the Big Ten run, uh, in the regular season, and in the tournament. Uh, so he's probably locked in at a top eight pick uh, to be, you know, conservative. So I think Johnny Davis, if he has a couple more inefficient games, if Wisconsin gets upset, I think you might see him drop a couple spots, maybe closer to 10 uh, or maybe a little outside the top 10, but not too far. Metcalf, I hate to do it to you. But I'm also going to be the second person who answers this question with Johnny Davis, only based on the fact that, listen, Keegan Murray, 
I don't know if he can do much more wrong by by the draft Twitter community at this point. Like, good lord, a, a bad game by this man today was 17 points, 11 rebounds, like three combined stocks. Like, what I mean, what is it numbers. really? four points a game right like look at those numbers his per i mean his per at one point was like over a 40 made me fall out of my chair at at the beginning of the season just looking at some of his advanced metrics so like i think keegan murray i would agree i think he's done enough i think jay nivey alex you you hit hit the nail right in the head i think top four like number four is probably his floor but johnny davis johnny davis has been struggling recently i know he's been banged up he's had multiple injuries listen metcalf if you're listening I'm not going to drop Johnny Davis, but I think when we talk about public perception and what people can gain or read into from these higher profile tournament games, when not everybody's had the chance to maybe see Johnny Davis as much as people like us, and they see Johnny Davis throw up one of these games that he's been prone to, like this 5 of 16 shooting game where, yeah, he might be rebounding the ball, but in terms of scoring and helping everybody else out and really making an impact on helping his team win, He's had some of those games where you look at it and you go, well, he's not creating separation. He's not able to create one-on-one. He's he's not necessarily getting everybody else involved. Like, what what is his real purpose on the floor in terms of being a top ten talent? Like, he has. I I don't read too much into those games, but he has thrown up some of those games. And if he were to have one of those early on in the tournament, I think that could really flip some of the narrative on him. I think he would still be a lottery pick, but certainly having him up closer to where I projected him, like a top seven player in Metcalf's case, he's had him as like a top five player for quite a while. Now I think that could definitely flip some of that narrative. So I I would agree with Alex on that question in in, in flipping that type of question the other way, which big 10 prospect out of this grouping has the most to gain in terms of draft stock, should their team go on a run? And I listed off Max Christie and then Ohio state teammates, Malachi Branham and EJ Liddell. Alex, I'll start with you on this one. What do you think, man? Yeah, I think I think it's Max Christie. And I think a big part of that is it seems like everyone is just expecting him to go back to school at this point. But if Michigan State goes on a run and he's playing a big role in that run, shooting the lights out from three, which we've just been waiting on and waiting on kind of all season, he's got one of the prettiest jumpers in the class He's six six, silky smooth. He's shown a little bit of playmaking here and there, but at the end of the day, let's say he goes on a you know three four game stretch here in March and shoots over fifty percent from three. Uh, I could see a team kind of talking themselves into him into you know the mid teens area and and taking him there uh, with the Ohio State guys. I think they're kind of already locked in into kind of that later first round mix, um, at least EJ Liddell, it seems like. Um, and then Branham, I think he's got a little more upside than Liddell, but I think out of these three, I think it's Max Christie. Nick, I'll, I'll ask you for, for your answer, but also kind of pitch a, a secondary question to you as well. Does Ohio State having a more favorable draw in the bracket? Maybe the, the, does that give the Ohio State guys a little bit of an edge with this particular question if they're able to make a deeper run than Michigan State, who I, I'm going to be mentioning the West every single damn segment on, on this stream. The, the gauntlet of death at this point. Michigan State's, I mean, they might have to play Duke in the second round, whereas Ohio State, in my opinion, the toughest team that they might have to match up with at some point in the South is Arizona at the top. Favorable draw, maybe helps them out. What do you think? So I probably would have gone with EJ Liddell anyway. I just think that he's kind of the lead guy for this Ohio State team. And therefore, if 
anyone gets sort of really hot to the point where they're boosting their draft stop dramatically, I think it's probably going to be Liddell just because he's going to have the ball in his hands more. And I think that the favorable draw also really helps with them on that front. I think the Villanova team in the second round would be a decently tough matchup for them, but it's not going to be anything close to what the Western region of this bracket looks like. And I also think that EJ Liddell is someone who has been great for this Ohio state team all season long. And if he can sort of solidify himself, I mean, he has been the main guy for this Ohio state team, but if he can put together a couple of statement games in this tournament, then I think he has a real chance to, rather than being like a back end of the first round slash maybe even early second round guy, I think he has a really good chance to boost himself into sort of the middle portion of the first round, maybe the 15 to 20 range. I love talking Big Ten without Metcalf because I can go off the board and ask another interesting question to Alex that I don't necessarily have on the sheet, but I know how Metcalf would answer this question because – Michigan's also part of the Big Ten, and they're also in the South region that we've been talking about. And they have an intriguing first-round matchup against a higher-seeded Colorado State, which I don't think it's out of their own possibility. We could see Michigan winning that game. I might even actually pick Michigan to win that game, despite how awesome David Roddy is, who just came up in our previous segment. But not even just Caleb Houston possibly boosted his draft stock, but Musa Diabate as well. Like, let's say Michigan wins that game against Colorado State and Diabate would look good doing it, and then they go up against Tennessee in the next game, and Diabate goes up against that hulking front court, and he looks good in that game too. Like, Alex, you, you see any any of the Michigan guys possibly boosting their draft stock in a bigger way than we might have foreseen just because of how the bracket broke out? Yeah, definitely. I think you're spot on with it's because of the bracket. Um, you know, them being an 11 seed and not being in the play-in, uh, was kind of shocking surprising, to me. Surprising, right? Um, yep. Yeah, very, very surprising. But, uh, you know, Colorado State is, is a tough, you know, tough team, so th- they don't have, like, a breeze. Uh, but I think out of the 11 seeds um, going up against them and then potentially Tennessee in the next round, Villanova, Ohio State, uh, and the round after that, if they make it that far, I think is probably the easiest path for an 11 seed. Um, so if they do win one or two games, I think it's probably going to be – um, hopefully a little bit more Caleb Houston, uh, Diabate, uh, should show a lot on the defensive end, I think at least within the first couple of rounds. So, yeah, I could see, you know, a couple of them, I don't think any of them are going to really boost too much, uh, just given the chances of them making a deep run, but you know, it's, it's not out of the realm of possibility, just given the way the bracket kind of shook out. You guys are unique because I'm giving you not one conference, but two conferences. That's right. We're throwing a little Big 12 in here because I know Nick Nick has an, a, a, a strong love, I'll call it, for Ochai Baji at this point. So I'd be surprised if he didn't answer this question the way I think he will. But which team has the better chance to make a deeper run based on the talent of their current projected draft prospects? And the Big 12 teams I chose were Baylor, Kansas, Texas Tech, or TCU. Nick, what do you think? Well, I'm glad I'm really predictable. That makes me good now. Um, <laughs> yes, I am, in fact, going to pick Kansas. Thank you very much. Uh, Oshai Agbaji and Christian Braun together, I think, are a really good prospect tandem. And I also think that Kansas has a – well, I think Baylor has an easier draw, but I think Kansas is just a much better team. So if I'm going to bet on one of those two Big 12 teams, I'm definitely going to bet on Kansas, TCU got a really unfortunate draw. I think if they manage to get past Seton Hall in round one, they've almost certainly got a date with Arizona coming, which doesn't look great for them. So 
Yes, I'm going to very predictably go with Kansas and my love for Ochai Baji, but Baylor is an interesting team too. I just prefer Agbaji and the Kansas squad personally. I think the way I worded the question gives Kansas the edge based on the strength of their current projected draft prospects, because usually it's not freshmen who are making the biggest impact in the NCAA tournament. Usually it is the upperclassmen. And when you factor in the combination of Christian Brown and Ochai Baji, particularly on the defensive end, I, Alex, correct me if I'm wrong, I can't really see a team other than Auburn really giving them a, a very, very, very hard fight. Like I know Iowa's been a good team. They're in the Big Ten final today, but I think I think Kansas has the defensive firepower to really limit what Iowa does offensively, Keegan Murray notwithstanding. And then it's really about getting to that Elite Eight game potentially against Auburn. What do you what do you think about the question? Yeah, I mean, I think you're really underselling South Dakota State. Uh, but, but yeah, no, I think Iowa is probably their toughest matchup uh, at the top, top half of the bracket. And then, uh, obviously Auburn, uh, if they make it to the lead eight, but yeah, I'm going with Kansas. Um, just given that Agbaji, Braun, and even Jalen Wilson, who's been having an underrated season this year, I don't think he's a 2022 draft prospect, but a guy who's, who's had a decent, uh, year this year who might, you know, help them make a run as well. Um, Baylor definitely has the easier bracket. So if we're looking at that, then I think it would be Baylor. But with their prospects this year and Jeremy Soan and, and Kendall Brown, they're not really guys I'm anticipating to kind of carry. Uh, it's going to be the guards, right? It's gonna exactly. Be the guards. So it's going to be the guards. So Kansas has a legit, you know, player of the tournament type guy in, in Oche Agbaji. So uh, I think it's got to be them. Nick, you didn't pick Texas Tech. Come on, man. No, you didn't, I did you didn't not. pick Terrence Shannon, Donis Arms, Kevin McCall. You didn't you didn't pick Texas Tech. Like the, the, those should been, be your boys too at this point. They would have been second behind Kansas, but as we have stated in more private settings, uh there are many of us that would be quite happy if Texas Tech goes on a little bit of a run in this tournament. I, I think they got a chance. Nick, what what do you think? You think uh, you think knocking off Duke and getting the lead A's out of the question? I think it's very much in play. Never doubt, never doubt Terrence Shannon Jr. Never doubt him. <laughs> <laughs> that 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 is your boy listen i i defended him on a podcast I mean, it was like a week or two ago i literally defended him on a podcast i'm like why why don't we have him in a top 60 i you know the, some the of us do you, i i know i know <laughs> so in terms of a fun question that i i guess that really kind of was it i, I wanted to close this out by Every question I'm asking all of the guys that are coming through here, who is a player who isn't in the tournament field who draft fans can't forget about despite everything going on with March Madness? Nick, I'll start with you. Can you hear me, Nick? Hello? Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> More technical <laughs> difficulties. Let's go. Hey, now, now Max welcome to better. <laughs> Um, I don't know if Nick yeah, heard the question. I did not, which is why I'm stalling for time. Who is your <laughs> who is your guy who's not in the tournament field who draft fans cannot forget about and need to still pay attention to? I went with Iverson Molinar. And the thing with Iverson Molinar is this year, um I'm not sure those stats are right. Um Anyway, this year, um, his shooting from three-point range has just absolutely fallen off a cliff, but I think that there is a lot more to be said for the fact that he took basically the same number of attempts last year and hit 44% of them. 
And if you assume that Iverson Molinar is, you know, a mid thirties, three point shooter, as opposed to the 44% shooter he was last year or the 26% shooter from deep he was this year. When you combine that with the immense growth he made as a playmaker this season, combined with how good he is at getting to the rack and scoring around the basket. I think Iverson Molinar is someone who could have really made a name for himself if Mississippi State hadn't sort of collapsed down the stretch of the season. And he's someone who I think could very easily be someone that we look back on a few years from now, evaluating this draft and say, why didn't he go higher? Why wasn't he one of the more highly regarded point guards in this draft? Was it just because he had a bad stretch of three-point shooting luck that really made people think of him as a non-shooter? Because if you look at the rest of his college career, that's not the kind of player he is. And the improvements that he's shown as a playmaker, I think, really stand out this year. And if you can sort of get past the poor shooting that he had for a brief moment in time this season, I think he's someone who really could look good in terms of evaluations looking back a few years from now. Alex, who you got, buddy? I got uh, Jake LaRavia out of Wake Forest. Uh, I was kind of disappointed that they didn't end up making the tournament because, I mean, him along with Allendez Williams is must-see TV. Uh, They're so fun to watch. Um, So Jake LaRavia is 6'9", about 230 pounds. He's got the NBA body. Uh, He's like a jack-of-all-trades, master of none. Um, He does a little bit of everything. He could play make. He could score. Uh, He's a good shooter, uh, solid defender, uh, you know, not the best athlete, but he's just a really fun player to watch. Um, You know, there is a uh, Bartovic query that I made right before we hopped on. Um, I I didn't finagle it too, too much, but there's only four players in college basketball that have this stat line, which is over uh, 20 usage, over 65 true shooting, shooting the ball 60% or more from two and 40% or more from three. Uh, One is David Roddy, who we talked about earlier. Uh, One is Jake LaRavia. And a third one is Chet Holmgren. So, I mean, it's pretty good. So I'll leave you with that. Sometimes being really unique isn't a bad thing. Just because we can't necessarily come up with the cleanest of cops for some of these guys all the time doesn't mean that they can't be pretty decent to good NBA players. So I, I absolutely love that query, but guys, it's going to do it for this portion of the podcast slash stream. Nick, where can everybody find you on social media? So on social media at NBA, J O H N S O N, I throw all my work up on my Twitter feed at some point. So if you're looking for my work, you can find it all there. And then just all things, no scenes NBA. Alex, what about you, man? Yeah, on Twitter, at Draft Film School. And then, yeah, No Ceilings NBA. Uh, that's where all the writing is. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for hopping on to talk some Big 12 and Big 10. We are coming down near the end of the No Ceilings stream tonight. And to be honest, there's there's no better way to end this stream than with the two guys who we're going to close with. The actual host of the No Ceilings podcast. I was going to say, maybe we saved the best for last. I don't know if I can answer that properly with, with, with these two guys coming on. I don't know if I'd call them the best, but they're what I got to close out the show. So let's bring them out. Tyler Metcalf and Tyler Rucker. What a ringing endorsement. <laughs>
Let's go. Yeah, Get these kids off. Let's 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 have some real fun. Yes, the there's best. No, there's no relaxed. cheers for you, Rucker. We 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 don't have a live audience. I, I can hear them. I can hear them. I don't got people clapping in the background. They're just watching home. But how, how, Metcalf, are how are you doing? Besides catching drive-bys left and right in that last segment, I, I'm great. You know, I'm just really really thrilled to be here. God, <laughs> Rucker, how you doing? I'm great. I, I was pumped about this. You know, we've had our bumps and bruises throughout the whole stream, but I think everyone's done a heck of a job. Thanks for everyone listening too. I'm, I'm excited to uh, talk it out with you guys. Metcalf, we joke because you are one of the best here. You are. I I, I told you. You and I messaged on Twitter before we even became a thing in those sins. Like I loved all the writing and everything that you were doing related to the draft, or your Timberwolves work. So. Yeah, we, we all joke around. We throw each other under the bus, but you you are one of the most respected draft analysts in the community. So don't don't sell yourself short just because we <laughs> he, he rolls his eyes at me. All right, that that's enough of the flatter. We're gonna hop right into it then. Please. All right. So, boys, what's really funny? I wrote this first question down, and lo and behold, the bracket gods gave me exactly what I wanted. So I'll give you the question. I don't know if we're going to operate off the question, but I'll give it to you to set the scene for the audience because they don't realize what I'm talking about. I wrote down whose stock would fall further from a poor performance in the tournament, Chet Holmgren or Jalen Duran? Well, guess what, boys? We might have Gonzaga and Memphis in the second round, a battle of Titans, and not just a battle of Titans. You have Chet Holmgren, who everybody just wants to pick on him because he's skinny, against one of the shit brick houses that we have in all of college basketball. Talk about a fun, highly anticipated draft Twitter will lose all of their marbles second round matchup. So I'm just going to spin the question this way, Metcalf, I'll start with you. In that game, I'm not asking you to pick the winner of the game, but out of between those two guys, who do you think is more likely to have the better performance out of the two of them, Chad or Jalen Duran? I know. I got to go with Chet because he's been my, my far and away best player pretty much all season. Not pretty much actually all season. Um, I, I think his two way versatility is really special. And I think Duran would had, would have a lot of trouble kind of keeping up with him on the perimeter and the stuff that Gonzaga likes to run, I, I think would really put Memphis in a bad situation. And I'm a little more skeptical about Duran's ability to really defend on the perimeter and the fact that Chet lives out there and creates out there regularly and then uses his agility and length inside. Um, I, I think it would be a really, really fun battle. But at the end of the day, I, the, the, the versatility of Chet, I think you can't really pass up or understate how important it is. Rucker, not, not, to, not to want to purely put more butts in seats for this matchup. But one of the things that we've talked about with Duran all year is he will have some games where he shows a real lack of motor and he's not assertive. He's not calling for the ball and he's not getting after it to his best ability on the defensive end. Now, thankfully, in this little American conference tournaments run, he actually did have some of those plays that just make you go right in the back of your chair, like some of those two blocks that he had this afternoon, for example. But you got to think that he would come into this matchup. Like, am I really going to let this guy who doesn't even compare to me physically beat me up in any way, shape, or form? Like, no, I'm going to call for the ball on the block. I'm going to take this guy in the low post. I'm going to shove him into the stanchion. I'm going to dunk this ball home, and I'm going to keep getting two points and adding two points to my stat line. Like, 
is this the kind of game where Jalen Duran could answer a lot of those questions and, and, and silence some of the doubters? Absolutely. I, and it's funny, you know, that you had me and Metcalf on for this question, two guys that have been the coldest on Duran throughout the whole year, but what he's done in the last, you know, couple of weeks, um, we're starting to see the pieces come together and, mm-hmm. you know, obviously he's coming off that impressive 2020 game. He had a solid 14 point, 10 rebound game today. Um, you know, he's averaging, I think over 14 and 10 in his last six games. So, if anyone's going to make a serious statement in that game, I mean, if Durant can put on a show against Chet, against Gonzaga, saying they get past Boise State, shout out to Broncos, but, you know, Durant, that would be a statement game for him. I really do believe it. I think if he could show something to NBA front offices going up against Chet, you know, showcasing that he can be a factor, um, show some versatility all over the place and, if he's not fired up for that game, I don't know what you're going to be able to. So I really do think Jalen could really make um, a lot of noise, a lot of momentum up boards, especially in draft circles with front offices, if he has a strong showing in that game, seeing that they get past Boise State. But he's been great lately. Um, he's definitely been one of those guys that you start paying attention to these recent slate of games and you're like, okay, I need to go back and see what all of a sudden has clicked because now we're seeing a little bit more confidence. He's like you said, Nathan had those blocks today. You were like, Oh my gosh. I mean, he's flying all over the place with some emphatic rejections. So we're all rooting for it. We, we all want that second round game bad. I, I mean, basically everyone would be locking themselves in a bunker if, on draft Twitter and the draft community. So yeah, I do believe that he could really, um, you know, make a statement, make some noise if, if he has a strong showing against Gonzaga. Don't worry, we will not be the only media outlet talking about that potential yes. matchup. I'm sure it's already happened five billion times uh, <laughs> across social media and every other ESPN type show that's going on right now. But we got that question out of the way. Wanted to give you guys two of the big boys, but we have Tyler Rucker here. He is a Pac-12 guy. He just got back from Las Vegas, seeing the Pac-12 tournament up close and personal. So we got to hit on some of the Pac-12 teams. This question becomes a lot more interesting, especially after some of the more recent developments with Arizona. In case anybody missed that game last night where Dale and Terry has gotten the chance to emerge for that team now that Kirk Reese has gone down, and all of a sudden he's like booming in draft circles. Which school gets more prospects drafted this year after their respective tournament runs? Arizona or UCLA and Rucker before I go to you for an answer, I'll, I'll set the scene. So prospects that we've been talking about Benedict Matherin and Coloco were the really easy ones. We're going to, we got to throw Terry in there. We have to throw Tubelis in there for Arizona. Kirk Creesa could still be thrown in there. Poe Larson's probably a next year guy, but screw it. I like him a lot. And if, if we're going to throw Terry in this conversation, why not start throwing him in? But then UCLA also has Jaime Hawkins, who we all love in those ceilings. Peyton Watson is getting some really good buzz now of late. Then you know, Rucker, I hope to hear some thoughts mm-hmm. that you have about him. And then Johnny Juzang is still out there. He could still have a big tournament. He could still be drafted in the second round. Maybe not a first-round guy, but I think both of these schools could be talking not just two, but possibly three draft picks um, for, for each of them. But Rucker, who are you going to go with? I'm going to probably say Arizona right now, um, just because I think, you know, they're going to have the potential to have two first round guys. I think Coloco could sneak up there. I still think I have him kind of right outside early second. 
but you know, a, a lot can happen with a deep tournament run and Matherin's been great. Um, I was impressed with what I saw in Vegas, seeing them up close. Coloco really impressed me um, just with what he did in both games in that tournament that I saw. And, you know, this is where it's getting really interesting with the Kriza injury is Dalen Terry is entering the conversation as potentially yes, a prospect is. for this class, you know, six, seven with playmaking skills. He defends his ass off and I'm sorry for the young ears out there. Hopefully you're not getting in trouble, but defends his butt off really good playmaker. Um, he just plays with his heart on his sleeve and, and you can tell the energy and passion he has for the game made an impact in a number of games. And I think if you watched Arizona closely this year, you might say Dalen Terry was one of the MVPs of that team. And it's not that he has to score a lot of points to help that team, you know, get a win each night. He just does a lot of things on that court that really stand out. Now, a lot of us thought he was going to be a prospect for next year. Um, Kreese going down all of a sudden he's just been rolling and, and isn't he still likely to go back to school, though? Dale I would say so. I'm rooting for him to go back because I think he could explode as a 2023 yeah. prospect. Um, you know, a lot of people are a little hesitant about the outside shot. From what I saw in those games, I was like, it, it's a much closer than you think. Um, and, and he's got confidence. And, you know, Tabellis is the other wild card. Um, he had a really big game in that Pac 12 tournament. And if Arizona has a deep run, you never know. Uh, you know, the pre-draft process is an interesting thing where all of a sudden some team might throw a promise at him, um, especially if he tests the waters. So I would say Arizona right now, and I'm trying to give Metcalf something to talk about, so I don't want to go too in-depth. I mean, I mean, just to kind of like give, give some more context behind the answer. I mean, when we talk about these guys potentially having their stocks boosted off of tournament runs, listen, with the draw that Arizona has in the South, I'd be shocked if they didn't make the Final Four. At this point, they're just such a loaded team. However, in the East, you you can talk yourself into UCLA making a Final Four run as well. I mean, you look at they their their draw; they have favorable matchups until they get to Baylor in the Sweet Sixteen. I think they could beat Baylor. Then mm-hmm. you get to one of likely Purdue or possibly Kentucky or Murray State if they went on a Cinderella run. Like I think UCLA could beat them too. I think they could get right back to the Final Four, and if they do. Metcalf, you probably have to think that Johnny Juzang's back in that second round conversation. So who are you going with? Yes, I, it, it's a kind of a fine line to walk because if we're talking about what's most likely to happen, um, I think I would lean UCLA with get them getting more drafted. What I would do would be pretty easily Arizona by a long shot. Um, I'm much lower on Hawkes than the rest of the No Ceilings crew. Um, I wouldn't have Juzang draftable. Um, and you know, odds are, I, and I wouldn't bet against him getting hot again in the tournament, like he did last year, maybe not quite to that level, but he's shown that he shows up a lot on big nights. But you know, when we evaluate these guys, it's a season long thing. And if we're just going off the tournament, then we're going to get ourselves in a lot of trouble. Um, I, I think that it's really short sighted to really live off those things. So if a hot tournament run boosts a guy five to 10 spots, okay, but they shouldn't be jumping from undrafted to a first round pick necessarily. Uh, Peyton Watson, I love, um, but you know, I, I think Arizona has a top 10 lock in Benedict Matherin and Christian Coloco could easily go in the first round as well. Um, or at least top 40, he's one of the best defensive centers in the country. And then if Dalen Terry really starts showing a consistent shot here down the stretch, um, you know, 
I, I think that's that would probably be enough of a flash to combine with his size, his defense, his passing, um, to kind of entice some NBA teams to be like, you know what, let let's spend a top fifty pick or top forty pick on this guy because if you can find a point guard at his size with that attitude that he plays with and his really impressive anticipatory passing and defense, just that whole package, it's really special. Um, yeah. And all he's missing is that shot. If against big competition and the biggest moments, he shows that, okay, the shot, you know, he doesn't have to be a world beater with it, but if he can be reliable shooting open off the catch, um, that that would be huge for him. And if that happens, then, you know, I'm thinking, okay, maybe, maybe he just accelerates his career development and just goes pro this year and says, screw it. I'm I'm good enough. And this is my time. I've I've heard the Terry buzz for a while, most most notably in terms of like major podcasts talking about him. I know that Sam Vecini and Matt Penny have been big fans of him for, for quite a while, and they made it a point to bring him up. If anybody could rise from this tournament, he'd have a great chance. Those six names I listed off, though, for, for Arizona Rucker, is it is it crazy to say that I think all six of those guys are going to at least get a cup of coffee in the NBA, which is crazy. Like, we talk about... Duke having all these prospects and Gonzaga having all these prospects. Like I think Arizona might have more pro players on the roster than, than both of those teams. And then maybe not after this year, like we're going to the 22, but like 23 and all like, I, God, I think all those guys are pros. What do you think? You're the yeah, Arizona I, guy. I, I really think Tabellis is the wild card to watch. Um, if you go watch that game against Colorado, when it was the first game that Creza was out, I mean, he was all over he the is place. A monster. He was a monster. He was beautiful playmaking. I think that's a guy where, you know, he could be that type of playmaking big that is has NBA teams drooling. And I think the next step with his game is just being a consistent floor spacer, even if he can just hit that top of the key jumper, which he's showing right now for Arizona because they're daring him to take it. And he's like, fine, I'll take it. But he showed great feel around the basket. He showed some sensational vision for a playmaking big. I, I really do think Arizona's got some, some really nice pieces, some really serious talent that I'm like you, Nathan, I think they could definitely, you know, have a cup of coffee at least in the NBA. I, I really think even Creesa has that road. He's probably my term. cup of coffee guy out of the six. Like, I don't know about you guys. I don't know if you guys have, have any thoughts on Larson. I really like that kid. I, I like Larson he, a lot. He, you know who he reminds me of? our fellow love affair, Christian Brown. He gave a lot of Christian Brown vibes. I I really think, especially him, you know, you're talking like a six, seven sophomore. Um, I think another year for him, he could be the guy that we're not even talking about that could really break out for Arizona. Cause I just like, he played composed and he was getting after it defensively. You saw a couple of possessions where he was just all over the place, switching on guys. So yeah, there's some, there's some serious pieces with that Arizona roster that, are either going to be draft prospects this year or next year. And, and like we've talked about with Dale and Terry, he's playing himself into this class now. Now, can he keep it up? Um, is Creesa going to be out for a couple rounds? We're, we're going to have to wait and see. USC, also in the Pac-12. Metcalf, should Isaiah Mobley be getting some love, especially if they can reel off a few wins in the tournament here? Now, I will say they have a very tough draw off the bat. This Miami team coming off this ACC tournament where they gave Duke a real battle. I mean, they they looked really good. They have multiple perimeter threats who can really give USC 
a lot of trouble. But Isaiah Mobley has been a prospect. We don't really talk about him a lot. I think he's been hovering around a lot of people's top 60s, but he's not. I, I think he has like top 45 type of talent. He just doesn't. He just doesn't show it as often as I think he's capable of showing it. Do you think that he should be able to to garner some love, possible tournament run? I, I think he should because his skill is pretty undeniable. And just the, the way he moves on the court, it's just really fluid. He knows he has a really good understanding of how to play. Um, and, you know, obviously he's Evan's older brother. But when you watch him play, you, you can just tell by the, his movements and the way he reads the floor that they kind of grew up playing together and that he sees at least sees the game in a similar way. Um, I don't think he's anywhere near that talent, obviously. But, you you know, you get what I'm saying. Um, I think this is a really good chance to, for him to show his two-way versatility because Miami has uh, some big men who will stretch it out to the perimeter and be used as creators out there. Mobley will be able to show off his defensive versatility in that matchup. And then if they are able to get through that Miami team, which is a really tough test, they'll likely face Auburn. And going up against Kessler and Jabari, the that would be a really, really good matchup with a ton of eyes on him. And if he can show out, they don't have to win, but if he can show out and put up a double-double or just be really consistent and productive on both ends of the floor, that would probably move him into second-round consideration or second-round lock even. Rucker, any any love for Isaiah Mobley? Yeah, the, the funny part about this is I went to – Vegas to obviously watch like, you know, UCLA, Arizona, all those prospects I could. And I was really fascinated to watch Isaiah Mobley. And the game I watched, it was against UCLA. Hawkes was guarding him every second he was on the floor. And I, and he struggled that game. He ended up with nine and seven. He struggled to get a shot going, but I was so impressed with the type of player he was that I, I quickly was like, this guy is draftable. I, I really do believe it watching him. Cause he was, he was basically navigating the entire offense um, for that USC team. He was telling everyone what to do the whole game. He was the most vocal leader on the court. He just plays the game really smart. And even though his shot wasn't falling, you know, he was making great reads. Um, I think he's a really smart basketball player. Um, just knows where the ball is supposed to go. Doesn't make a lot of gambles. And he, he's just, he's a leader. He's going to be a smart piece. And, and I think this could be a guy you draft Maybe he spends a little time in the G League, and then maybe you have a really nice rotation piece that doesn't, you know, low maintenance guy, just kind of kind of one of those glue guys in your rotation. I, I was really, really impressed with what he did, and, and it wasn't like I'm saying he didn't have 25 and 11, you know, with nine and seven and struggled, but played tough defense, knew where to be, knew where to put everyone in position. I just think like I, I understand anyone that's high on Isaiah Mobley because I was I was very impressed. I came away like this is a draftable prospect. If not, someone's going to be targeting him quickly as a potential two way guy. So Metcalf, while you were MIA last week for for a little bit, Rucker had to, to take over the reins. But don't worry, I had to, I did a good job filling in for you. No, no ceilings did not tank while you were gone. I promise. We had we had a lot of fun framing podcasts around who are our guys in the draft right and so I thought that since we had you back in the mix for this one it'd be fun to ask a similar type of question to you to kind of get some of your thoughts who is your guy 
in the tournament field who you believe is primed to benefit from a tournament run and, and break out in terms of draft stock? So I a couple different ways I could go. Obviously, Johnny Davis would is, is go, my, no, is my number one. Just, just um, take this wherever you want, okay? Yeah, and so Johnny Davis is obviously my number one, but we've said enough about him already. Um, <laughs> I, I think the next one for me is Max Christie. I, I am still Let's super go. high on Christie. Um, I, I think I still have like a late lotto grade on him. I know the numbers don't suggest that because he's struggled recently, but. I, I refuse to look at those shooting mechanics and convince myself that he's not going to be a good shooter. Um, the the way he moves off ball is just really natural. Uh, he's awesome at curling off screens and shooting off the catch. He's really good at relocating. I love his on-ball defense. Uh, he needs to get stronger, but his base, his footwork are all really impressive. And as the season has progressed, he started to show a little more off the bounce juice with attacking closeouts. And when he curls off those screens, taking a couple dribbles into a pull-up and not just shooting straight off the catch. So I, I think there's a lot there in his game to grow from. Um, obviously, Michigan State will need to make a big run for him to really kind of cement himself as a first-round guy. I think they guy. can, though. I really I, think exactly. they can. Exactly. And if they do, I think he's going to be a huge reason why. And that shot is really going to start coming around um, and really producing because they they need it to. So if they make a run, I think it's going to be because of him and that shooting tape, you know, really kind of aligning with what it looks like on film. Like Metcalf, not not to not to air out all of our dirty laundry in terms of what we're saying in the DMs on, on you know, on the stream. But you, you made it a point like. Texas Tech could very well be the team that ends the a Duke Gonzaga rematch. Well, now I think Michigan State could could actually do that too. Like right in the next game, Michigan State has a lot of versatile defenders, and we've seen Duke. Corey was complaining about it for a while, but he made valid points that when they go to some of these offensive sets, they just want to keep spamming. Like Tom Izzo and Michigan State, like those guys will figure that out, and they will put a lid on that quicker than any of the teams that Duke faced in the ACC tournament. And I agree with you. If Max Christie is doing his part in that game, in a matchup like that, maybe even if they don't win, but if he's making shots and he's making an impact on both ends of the floor, yeah, I think he has. He, he does have room to climb in, in the, the region of death, as, as I guess I've settled on calling it at this point. Rucker, who's, who, who's your guy? Who's another one of your guys? Um, just quick on Christie. If, if Max Christie goes nuclear, like NBA jam mode against Duke to end the coach K experience, <laughs> he's a lottery pick. I, we have to make a rule of it. <laughs> um, but big serious. Can, can I throw out a little bit of a crazy one? Yeah. Okay. So I was going to give some love to Keon Ellis cause I'm still a believer, mm. but I actually think I need to mention someone here. Cause I think there's a chance that one like a deep tournament run in one big game could kind of jumpstart his stock again. I think Peyton Watson's got a shot to, oh, to get up because what I saw in Vegas. Tell us second, about it. The second half, if you if no one has watched this, go watch the second half of UCLA versus USC. And Mick Cronin finally let Peyton Watson run wild. And what he did all over the place, I was like, I completely understand why people had him as a top 10 preseason pick. He was flying all over the place. He was making defensive plays. Then on the other side of the floor, finishing with touch around the basket. 
it just looked like he finally had confidence for like the first time in three months. Um, and you just, you can see the potential is legit. The tools are freakish. He had some defensive sequences. Where I was like, Oh my goodness, this is a first round pick. There's no questions about it. Then he came down and hit a transition three and it was, you know, nothing but net. And I was like, you know, I was with Albert. I was like, what the heck? Like the basketball gods of the draft world are giving us a golden gift right now. Like, so I think all it's going to take with Watson, because I really do believe like it's been such a tough year watching him, um, especially for evaluators, because we just still are like, what is this guy? I still believe he could be a pre-draft guy that really just opens some NBA scouts and executives like eyes with, with what he can do you know, in a gym and with nothing going on in the game situations. And um, I think if he had one really strong game in the tournament, it, it could kind of get every NBA executive to be like, okay, there it is. Like, that's the player that we're believing in. And, you know, if he gets, you know, we get to the late first round, you're, some teams are going to swing for upside. And Peyton Watson might have the highest upside in that range of a lot of prospects that are going to be on the board. So that's kind of a, and a wild card one that I really think we got to pay close attention to because I think UCLA, like you said earlier, Nathan, I think they have a chance to have a real deep run. I, I think they could upset uh, some yeah. teams. And um, I'm looking right at that Baylor game you talked about. Like Baylor's number one, but I think Baylor can be beat. You know, like they are a very strong defensive team, but um, if the offense isn't clicking, things can happen. And we've seen that throughout this year. And Mick Cronin just – for whatever reason, once he gets into the tournament, he just seems to have so many people's numbers. So yeah. I, I, I agree with you. I think if they go in a final four run, it could, it could benefit all of Juzang, Hakez, and Watson. So I, I actually do agree with you on that one. So we will close out the stream, not just the segment, but we will close out the stream with the question I've asked every single duo that's come before you. Who is a guy who isn't in the tournament field who draft fans can't forget about despite all of the March Madness. Metcalf, I'll start with you. I'm going Patrick Baldwin Jr., um, the the 6'9 or 6'10 lethal shooter, uh, who some people were considering the best draft best draft prospect entering the season. Um, it, I, I think Baldwin's going to be a real test of how we value pre-college tape and pre-college sample because – we got a good taste of it last year with BJ Boston and Zaire Williams, who had pretty disastrous years that couldn't have gone much worse. And now we're seeing them do stuff in the NBA at a positive level. And they're proving that they are NBA guys. And I expect a lot of the same from Baldwin. He was on a team that didn't, you know, adhere to him at all it was a really bad fit they had really bad guards uh, his dad just got fired as coach before the season even ended he had nagging injuries all season it everything that could go wrong did go wrong for him and i refuse to believe that that those shooting mechanics that size his basketball iq aren't going to produce at least a quality nba player because even even though the shot wasn't falling at the level we wanted it to he still showed off some pretty interesting defensive flashes, some quality off-ball defense, and I was really impressed with his passing, not to the point of being a primary playmaker by any means, but being a really good connector, being a really good second or third option in an offense, and if he's put in that situation, that's when I think he's going to thrive. So all this year really showed me was one that 
his situation couldn't have been worse. Um, and two, he's not the primary guy that, you know, a lot of us hoped or thought he was entering the season. But if you look at him as a role player, as a second or third scoring option where he's not asked to create or, you know, anything like that, then I think he has so much to offer because that size, that shooting ability, it's a pretty rare combination that doesn't come through the draft every year. I'm with you. I I refuse to get off the the lottery train with with Patrick Baldwin. I agree. Rucker, who's your guy? You know, I'm going to go with Alondez Williams. Um, I really am, am bummed. Taking a page out of my notebook, huh? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm really I'm really bummed that Wake Forest lost that game to Boston College. That was just like an absolute, the moment it happened, you're like, oh boy. Because I thought Alondez could have used the tournament. I, I thought they could have had some sparks um, fly, and, and he could have been a guy that kind of cemented himself as definitely someone that could continue to rise. Um, he's been a popular name with the draft community. There's a lot of people out there that are very, very big fans. Um, you know, that Boston College game I thought wasn't his best showing. I, I had a lot of questions watching him, and then I kind of went back and watched the tape, and I was like, okay, I understand the the buzz, the excitement, because he's got good size, around 6'5". He's got playmaking ability. He's got really good vision. And, um, you know, he's got some sneaky athleticism. He can get downhill and really throw down some highlight slams. So, you know, Alondez, I, I, it just sucks because – this would have been a fun guy to monitor throughout NCAA March Madness. And I still think, you know, there's a lot of questions with this point guard class. I I think when you get to the second round, Alondez could be a guy that maybe impresses the team with a workout. Um, He could be a guy that thrives at the combine. You know, he really could like maybe he plays five on five and has a couple strong showings in the scrimmages. That's just the guy I think you got to keep an eye on and definitely could be, someone that sells teams that are looking for some point guard depth because he's got the tools. Um, the outside shot needs to be a little bit more consistent, but I, I really do like the rest of his game. So I think that's a, a sleeper to, to keep on your minds. Don't got to tell me twice. Yeah. That, that, that's all I'll say, but boys, it was a pleasure. It was a pleasure hosting you guys for once on, on your show. How about them apples? Metcalf, where can everybody find you on social media? Uh, on Twitter at tmetcalf11, uh, all my stuff goes up there, but just no ceilings across all platforms. Rucker, do 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 the massive plug you do all the time on every show imaginable. We're at noceilingsmba.com, folks. Thanks to everyone that stayed and listened the entire time. This was a blast. We're uh, we're excited to keep keep pushing some draft content forward. We got a lot of fun stuff in the plans. Um, I'm at Backcourt V on social media, but you know. Nathan, Tyler, the whole No Ceilings crew, this was awesome. Um, I think it turned out great, and I'm excited. March Madness is here, baby, so let's go. We're going to stay trucking. You can you can find me on Twitter, at Draft Deeper. You can subscribe to the No Ceilings podcast, the Draft Deeper podcast, the NBA Deep Dives podcast, the Draft Deck pod. You can subscribe to all of them, the whole No Ceilings podcast family, wherever you get your podcast, you can subscribe to no Ceilings TV on YouTube, where you're hopefully watching this stream and or re-watching this. And buckle up for what's coming at NoCeilingsNBA.com. Subscribe to the Substack. This week, I will I will be doing primers through my Morning Dunk column each week for all the tournament slates. We will have a big board going up this week. We're going to have a mock draft going up this week. Pre-turning mock draft and, and big board, guys. This is, this is the time of the year. This is... 
God, I'm, I'm so damn excited. But we, we <laughs> with that being said, I want to thank everyone for joining the stream, for listening tonight. Enjoy the March Madness. Enjoy all the great games. Until we talk again, I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your week.